somebody was trying to kill you. Some of you say, Pastor, we live in Missouri. I'll tell you what I would do. I carry, I carry this card for a reason right here, all right? You know, the scripture, obviously, you know, they didn't mess with Missourians, right? But, uh, or Texans or whoever, you know, anybody from, the, anybody from Texas in the house? Uh, I know I had a few of them in here, okay. But today, what would you do if somebody was trying to kill you? How would you treat that person? We see a great story of King David. Remember when King David, before he was king, he was anointed. The next king, he was the young one out taking care of the sheep. He's brought in. Finally, he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. And then one day, he's not even selected to go out to war. But his dad says, go check on the war, see what's happening with the Philistines. And he goes back out and he sees where Goliath is there, the giant intimidating all the children of, of Israel, and they're all hiding. And remember, he stands up, and he fights Goliath. He defeats the Goliath. And all of a sudden, he's the one who defeated the Goliath. He sets the, the children of Israel free from the Philistines. And then, all of a sudden, he becomes this people's champion. David becomes the people's champion. Now, King Saul is the leader by the throne. He's sitting on the throne. But David became the people's champion. And, and they knew the, the word had already spread. He's already been anointed the next king of Israel. And so something happens here where, where people are cheering for David. You know, people are clapping, clapping for King Saul, but they're cheering for David. I mean, they're, they're throwing things out in the street for David. It, it's Beatlemania for David. I mean, they're going crazy for David. People are going crazy for David. And so everybody begins to around Saul, begins to tell him, hey, you, you know, these people, they like you, but they love David. And so Saul begins to do the math and realizes that his days are limited in leadership. He realizes his influence is weakening in the kingdom. And so through his, through his insecurities, he begins to plot out a way to kill David. And so David's trying to serve Saul. He's in there as an armor bearer for the king. He works as a musician helping soothe the king. But every time he gets into the palace and tries to serve the king, the king is throwing spears at him. He's trying to put uh, money, a bounty out for his head. He becomes really close friends. David becomes really close friends with Jonathan, King Saul's son. And, and this is an incredible story because think about it. Jonathan was next in line to be the king. But even Jonathan realized God's hands upon David. God, he just feed Goliath. I, I see the hand of God on David. I need to acknowledge that. And even Jonathan showed this tremendous resolve within him to accept what was coming. And so where most people would have been jealous, like his dad was, King Saul, Jonathan began to love David. And they formed this best friendship. They, they formed a, the Bible calls a covenant relationship, where they loved each other as close as any two people could love each other. As far as brothers, they had a brotherly love for each other. And, and Jonathan would tell David, hey, don't, don't come near the palace today. 
Dad, Dad's put a bounty out for you. He's trying to take you out. Go hide. It's not safe yet. Or Dad's in a good mood. You can come, to little, you can come back in. And so David's in hiding. He's hiding in caves. He's, he's fighting for his life. He's trying to stay alive. And then one day, the Philistines come back and they attack. And we, we see where Saul and Jonathan were killed. And then we, we see eventually where David takes the throne. And after David takes the throne, you would think that David would think, you know what? I, I better make sure, because as it was common in that day, if there was anybody left over in the lineage of the former king, that person could cause an overthrow. They could come back and try to get another political overthrow and de-seat you from the throne. So it was a common practice that when you overtook the throne, either by force or whatever, you got rid of anybody else that had to do with the past family. And so David's sitting there one day, but he, David had a different spirit about him. And let's, let's see how David reacted to the person and to the family he was trying to kill him. David asked this question in 2 Samuel 9, 1. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone who I can show, let's say together, kindness for Jonathan's sake. I mean, talk about a, a different mentality. Talk about a different way of thinking. This was so radical at the time. Think about it. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart. And many people struggle with this statement because they, they say, well, David was a great warrior, but man, he had some great mistakes and he, he failed and had some great failures in his life as well. I think what we're seeing here is the reason behind that statement. The actions we're seeing here really model the heart of God. And he said David had the heart after God. David had a heart for God, and God loved David because David had something special about his spirit. And it's on full display right here that when he looked, it says, is there anybody I can show kindness to from the family who was trying to kill me? Totally different way of thinking. It's the way that we are to love. I want to talk to you about this today, about a love. This is love, a new covenant. Love is a new covenant today. So it becomes a beautiful picture. Number one, I want you to realize this, that you got to move and look beyond low to bar. Everybody say low to bar. Say, how low can you go? I mean, you just, you know, when they named cities and regions, it was always named after the characteristics of that region or that place or that city, that town. And so low to bar really means what it sounds like. It was a lowly state. It was called a no word. It was nothing there. No pastures were there. It was a quick road to nothingville in the middle of nowhere, kind of like Alba. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Come on now, those from Alba. I'm just playing, not, but I am a little bit, okay? In the middle, out in the middle of nowhere, there's nothingville. Nothing, there's nothing there, there's nothing you can grow there. No one wanted to be there because you couldn't grow crops there. You couldn't feed your, your livestock there. And so it became a lowly, deserted place. Very few people wanted to live there. And this became a place where Jonathan's son, who was there and in hiding, Jonathan's son had been there in hiding. Now, I want you to pick us back up in verse 3 and 4. We're going to find out about Jonathan's son. 
And then the king asked this person who said, hey, I know somebody. The king asked him, and this is his response, is anyone still alive in Saul's family? If so, I want to show, this time he says, I want to show whose kindness? I want to show kindness to this family. Then the second time he says, I want to show God's kindness to them. And then Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled, though, in both of his feet. And then David asked, where is he? And they answered in low debar. Now, today, what I want you to get here is this, that in the Old Testament, that we see a picture of how God wants to relate to us. The Old Testament is always pointing us to the New Testament when Jesus said there's going to be a new covenant, when Jesus says there's a better way, when Jesus says I'm doing something different. So the Old Testament is constantly showing us stories of how God loves us and how God is pointing us to a new covenant. What we see here is that Jonathan's son is living in Lodabar. Now, it sounds bad, doesn't it? It sounds bad. And not only is it a bad place, but he's crippled. Uh, the story goes on to tell us that we find out that when Saul and Jonathan were both killed in war, that the word got back to the palace and, of course, they knew that the enemy was right there on the verge of overtaking the palace. And as soon as they, the enemy walked into the palace as to complete the overthrow of the government, that they would have killed all the servants, all the workers, all the officials, and especially all the lineage so that nobody else could rise up and overthrow at a later date. And so in her haste, one of the nannies who were taking care of Jonathan's son grabbed him and she sprinted out to take him, to hide him. And in her sprinting and running, she tripped and fell and he, he broke things in his body. We don't know exactly what happened, but he was crippled from that fall. And because of them having to go to hiding, he didn't receive the proper medical care he probably would have gotten if he'd been living in the palace. But because they're trying to hide him, he didn't receive adequate care, and it crippled him for the rest of his life. Not only was he crippled, but now he's living in low debar. So to make things worse, he, he gets kicked out of the palace. He's dropped. He becomes crippled. Now he's living in low debar. Now he's broken. He has to be carried everywhere he has to go. He had to be living in a place of regret, the land of what if. People told him, you know, your grandfather was the king and your, your dad was the, the prince and you're the prince in waiting. He knowing that he was just right there, that when Jonathan would have took the throne, that he'd have been next in line to take the throne. But instead, he's crippled, living in low debar, broken. I mean, I had to haunt him, living like a dog out there and hiding and in the land of forgetfulness, the land of no pasture, no word, no communication, just trying to stay alive, just trying to survive. The good news is this today. I want you to get this. The good news is this, is that the king still sees you. No matter where you're living today, you may be living in the land of Lodabar. You may be living in the land of feeling like you've fallen and been crippled from hurt, fallen from your fall. You've been living in a place that has been north and growing there. You know, a place that people have forgotten, have mocked, and feel like God has forgotten you. But let me bring a special word of encouragement to your life today. The king still sees you today. 
The king still sees value in you today. The king's still calling at you today. The king has not forgotten you. You are still in the king's mind. You are still in the king's plan. The king is still wanting to bless you today. You gotta get past the low the bar mentality. God can restore you. Look at this now. I want you to see a broken life doesn't mean God has broken his promise. Some of us feel broken today. God, you've forgotten me. No, God has not forgotten you. He's calling you to the king's table today. He's calling you back to a place to sit in your rightful spot at the king's table. He has not forgotten you. He still sees you. He still sees you in your brokenness. He still sees you in your fall. He still sees you in your hurt, your disappointments, in your land of unforgiveness. He sees it, and he calls you back to the table. And number two, I want you to write this down. You need to learn to sit at the table. Number two, you got to learn to sit at the table. Remember Thanksgiving or Christmas and they had the big family dinners. How many of us remember this, that you had to sit at the kids' table when you was a kid? Anybody remember that? Now, everybody else, they had to sit at the adult table. And, but you were stuck over here with Cousin Johnny. No offense, Johnny. And Johnny's sticking noodles up his nose and back out the other side. And over there, they got a big pot of dressing and gravy and potatoes and turkey and ham. And you're over here eating some macaroni and cheese on a little bitty kid's plate, on a little bitty kid's table. You're like, I, I want to eat at the big table. And so we, we live our life wanting to eat there. You know, and then finally, when you're about six foot three, 250 pounds, they... Somebody either died or somebody didn't show up, but they invited you to sit at the big boy's table. And you take your place at the big boy's table. And you look and you say, why did I want to be here with these people? These people are crazy. But it's, it's a feeling of, you know what, I, I finally have made it. I, I finally got some respect. What I want to get to you today is simply this, is that God has called you and I. The king has called you and I to sit at his table. But too many of us mentally are still sitting at the kid's table. Too many of us are sitting back at the kid's table, not allowing ourselves to realize that we're worthy. We've been called up to sit and dine with the king. No, I'm just a dog over here. No, I'm just a person over here. I, I've committed too many mistakes in my past. But what I want you to get today is this, that God speaks to your low to bar past, and he calls you to fellowship with him. He calls you to come to the king's table. He's called you up. He's called you up. It's your time. It's your time to sit at the king's table. And what I want you to understand is Mephibosheth. That's his name. Mephibosheth. Say that three times fast. Mephibosheth. Don't do that in church. Somebody might think you're cussing. Don't do that now. Okay. Mephibosheth gets word that King David wants to see him. Hey, Mephibosheth, the king's calling for you. And immediately, his mind begins to go into fear mode. Oh, they found me. 
People warned me not to let the king find me. People warned me to stay in hiding. People warned me this day may happen. And now the king's found me. Now he's calling me. Man, he's going to kill me. He's going he's gonna to kill me. He's, my, my, my grandfather, I heard, my grandfather tried to kill him. Now he's going to take me and he's going to kill me. How, he's, his mind begins to assume the worst immediately. He had no idea the king was trying to call him up to bless him. He had no idea the king was trying to do something for his life. But because his mentality, his mentality, he was stuck over here in Lo Bar. His the mentality, he was stuck at the kids' table. He didn't realize God was trying to call him up to a blessing. So you got to get past your mindset of always thinking the worst. It's never going to get better. God's never going to use me. God's never going to do this. God's never going to do that. And you get stuck in that mentality, and you're going to live at the kid's table the rest of your life, or you can say, God, I'm ready to come and dine. God, I'm ready to sit at the blessing of the king. I'm ready to sit where you've set for me. I want to sit at the table. See, God has given you a seat at the table. Look at verse 9 and 7 now. Look what it says. This is what David said to him. Don't, don't be afraid. Settle down. Look what he said. I, I intend to show you kindness. Oh, that's an awesome word. Kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, you need to get this. Understand, he says, Mephibosheth, it's not because you've done anything to deserve it, but I'm going to give you back everything the enemy took from your family. It's going to come back to you because of my relationship with your father. Somebody needs to hear that word today. God wants to restore back to you everything the enemy tried to steal from you, everything the enemy tried to take from you. God's trying to restore it back to you because of the relationship with the father. Somebody give God a shout of Amen. God is trying to do something, and we got to understand it. See, it says he wants to show kindness. Now, the word kindness, as we're seeing this story, it's a unique word in the Hebrew language. Let's look at this now. In the Hebrew language, it's the word hesed. And when you try to translate uh, the Hebrew, the original Hebrew translation of the word hesed, one word can't capture it. They've used several different times. It was used 245 times in the Old Testament. And all those times, 75% of the time when it's used, it was used to describe God's love toward his children. But there was no direct word that would translate it correctly. So there, there were several words the way it's translated. So the word has said it translates to read more than just kindness. It's mercy. It's kindness. It's loving kindness. It's steadfast love, it's faithful love, it's abundant goodness, it's much mercy, it's a loyal kind of love. I mean, this word is such a strong word 
Sometimes we hear the word kindness and we think just of being a kind, simple act. But it goes much deeper in this, in this translation. It was God was trying to pour out mercy. God was trying to pour out bountiful love. God was trying to pour out steadfast love. God was trying to give much mercy, a loyal love to him. And God was trying to show him, because this is what he's trying to show to you and I today, that it's a loyal love. It's an abounding love. It's a covenant-giving love. See, these words, it's a, it describes a covenant relationship. It's a relationship. Mephibosheth was going to receive the king's kindness, not based on anything he had done, but based on what his relationship with the king was to the father. And you and I have got to get this in our head today, that we are sitting at the king's table today, that we have a seat at the king's table, not based on anything we've done, but based on the covenant that the father made with the son on our behalf. Are you getting that? It's a new covenant today that God's wanting you and I to understand. The reason why we can sit there because of the new covenant. Luke twenty two twenty, Jesus said it this way. Remember when he was having dinner with his last dinner with his disciples and he was sharing with them communion. And he goes in the same way after the supper. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a new covenant. See, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to a new covenant. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to a better way. There's a new covenant. Listen today. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are walking in a new covenant, and that new covenant places you at the table not because of anything you've done, but because of the relationship with the Father and the Son. Someone could God hand clap for praise for that. It's a new covenant. This is the way God loves us. I've been given a seat at the table. Some of you need to upgrade, but the upgrade starts in your mind. Some of you have already been invited to the table, but in your mind, you're stuck over here at the kids' table, and you're never going to move there because you never think you're good enough. You aren't, and I'm not. But because of what the Father and the Son covenanted, they prepare a place before me at the table, and I can sit there not based off of my own merit, but based off of what the covenant says. I am brought into the family of God. He had a hard time. Look what he says in 9.8. He says, man, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully in his response to David and said, who is your servant that you should show such kindness? Then he calls himself a dead dog like me. I'm just a dead dog. Why are you? I'm living in Lodabar. I'm crippled. I'm not a threat, and yet you're going to come and show me this kindness. Why, why would you just see, in our mind, we get stuck there. Some of you, in your mind, you always feel like you're second class. I'm never good enough. I'm never good enough. Listen, you're right. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. The person sitting next to you is not good enough. Only Jesus is good enough, but he has put a covenant that when I accept what happened on the cross and I confess him as Lord of my life and surrender my life to him, I enter into a new covenant signed with the blood of the Son made by the Father that allows me to go to a place I was never invited. But now I can sit at the king's table because of the covenant. It's the new covenant I've been given. 
Something happened. It's a, it's a mindset change. He's been invited to sit at the king's table. So Mephibosheth comes and he, he sits at the king's table. Think about this. As he's sitting at the king's table, the brightest people sit at the king's table. The most influential people sit at the king's table. The wisest people sit at the king's table. Mephibosheth is sitting at the king's table. And what I love about this is this, is that when he's sitting around the table, what can you not see today of me? You can only see from here up, right? See, when you sit at the king's table, Mephibosheth, no one can see your weakness because the king's table covers your weakness. It covers your crippledness. It covers your fall. Are you hearing me today? Take a seat and allow the king to cover you. You have been involved in a fall for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Because of sin, we've all fallen short. But when I sit at the king's table, it covers my fallen state. It covers my crippledness. It covers my weakness. And I can sit with the king's table. The Bible says this, that he prepares a table. In Psalms 23, 5, I love that. It says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. Don't you love that today? That today I can come and sit at the king's table and the king is dining there. And over here to my right, my haters are sitting right here. My critics are sitting right here. Those that want to bring up my past are sitting right next to them. And I can sit in the presence of all those people at the king's table under protection, covered because of the mercy of the king's table. You need to learn to sit at rest at the king's table. All these haters talking about me. Who cares? You're sitting at the king's table. People said, I'll never be able to do this. Who cares? You're already got a seat at the king's table. It's God's design for us to sit at the king's table. It's what God wants to do. It's how God lives for us. Look what I love the story. It's another story of the table in Luke 14, 23. It says a, a master prepared a great meal. He told his servant, go out and invite all my friends, all the neighbors. Tell them we're having a great feast. Invite them to this big party. Tell them to come. And the meal was prepared. He said, now go tell them it's time to come. And he went around and said, it's time. Let's go. Let's eat. And they said, I'm sorry. I can't come. I've got a, I've got a wedding today. And another said, I'm sorry. I've got, I've got still things to do in the field. I got more work to get done. I can't make, tell him I'm sorry. I can't be there today. And people are beginning to have excuses why they couldn't be there at the table. When he comes back, he says, master, I'm sorry, but people just couldn't, they couldn't come today. They, they, they wanted to be here, but they didn't make time. They couldn't do it. And look what he says. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and to the roads and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. I want you to know something. God's desire is for the table to be full. God's desire, first of all, for you to sit at the table. God desires for you to sit at the table. He wants it to be full, but not just for you. God desires for you to take the empty chairs and to fill them up 
with people who need to eat from the table. Why would I fill this chair up? Because why else would I be here? I'm only here because of the covenant relationship. I'm only here by grace and mercy and the kindness that comes from the king. And I've been called to call others to come and experience what I've experienced. I'm called to come others, come and fill the house, fill the table. Let me ask you a question. It's a simple question, but it really needs to be answered. Who are you going to bring to the table this Easter? Who are you going to bring the table with you? Now, I use the word Easter because it's a big day coming up in just a few weeks. And people who denied your request will often say yes on Easter. Even people who don't necessarily believe in God all of a sudden are now at least intrigued. There's something spiritually happening on the inside where they realize I should at least probably go to church, even if they don't even understand what that means, on Easter. People will say yes on Easter to come and dine at the Lord's table that wouldn't come any other time of the year. So we have a responsibility. He wants us to go and compel that the house is full. We, there should be no empty seats. We, we should, not just Easter, but all the time. We should be compelling people. Come and see and eat from the king's table. A place that covers you. A place that restores back to you. Everything the enemy stole out of your life, God wants to repair. God wants to build back up in your life. God wants to heal you. God wants to cover your brokenness. God wants to cover your crippledness. God wants to cover you in your weakest state. God wants you to sit at the king's table. But we have a responsibility to fill the house. Are you hearing me today? We have a responsibility to fill the house so that everybody can come and taste of the king's table. And our hope is this that once they drink from his well, once they eat from his table, they in return will run and tell people, come and see a man who covered my crippledness, who covered my past, who knew everything about me and still loved me, gave his life on the cross for me, and is restoring my life. It's our job, it's our responsibility it's just time for us to come and eat and get filled ourselves. Some of us, that's a first step. You need to come to the table, begin to eat of the Lord. But it's not for us just to indulge, become gluttons. But it's a place for us to share. Share what you're receiving. Share. Invite, invite, invite. I want you to bow your heads. here today say pastor I need to I need this word I needed this word today I've been sitting around at the kids table too long I've been living in low the bar too long I've been living in a place crippled too long and I just have felt deserted this message spoke to you can you just raise your hand where I can see say pastor you're speaking right to me thank you yeah lots of hands thanks guys for your honesty I appreciate that I want to ask the other person in the room today, maybe you're here and say, Pastor, I've never given my life to Jesus. I want to come and eat from the table. I want to enter into a covenant kindness that covers my sins, that places me back at the king's table in the family of God. The Bible says 
We must believe in our heart that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins, who was resurrected on the third day. We must believe that he is Lord of all. We must submit that in our spirit, but we must also confess it with our mouth. Without anybody looking today, we won't do anything to embarrass you, I promise you. We're not going to single you out. But with just me looking, can you just raise your hand if that's you? Say, Pastor, I'm ready to surrender my life fully to Jesus Christ today. Thank you. Anybody else want to join these? Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you, guys. One more time. If you haven't raised it, raise it right now where I can see it. Thank you. Okay. If you raised your hand, I want you to say this prayer after me. As Christians around you, we'll help you along as well. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you are the Messiah, God's only son. And from this day forward, I will live my life for you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we say, welcome to the family of God. If you meant that, yeah, amen. Give me a hand clap.